Welcome to the Positive Pants Podcast. Mindset, motivation, and inspiration to help you find your positive pants. Let go of negative thinking and stop living for the weekend with your host, Fran Excel. So welcome to the show. As always, it's Fran Excel Mindset Coach helping you find your very own pair of positive pants so you can get out of your own way and live a life that you love. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm very grateful you've chosen to put me in your earbuds today. Please do hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything and do leave me a review. I love, love, love reading them and it really helps me get found by other people who need to hear what I share. I'd also love you to email me your mindset and productivity questions or topics you'd love me to cover um, to hello at franexcel.com because I know a lot of you think I'm inside your heads because you tell me all the time. But if I don't know what you need, I can't give it to you. So let me know. Hello and welcome back to the Bounce Back series. I'm super excited. I have my fabulous friend, Lisa Johnson here today, and I know a lot of you will be wanting to hear from her. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm excited to be here after half a glass of wine chatting to you before. I know. I know we're terrible. Terrible. Yes. So everybody, if this gets a little slurry towards the end, souls not souls. <laughs> this is how we roll. <laughs> yeah. Please do introduce yourself to any of my listeners who may not have heard of you, which is unlikely. I think it's quite likely. <laughs> <laughs> So I am Lisa Johnson and I am known as the Passive Income Queen because I help people make recurring revenue from their passions. Um, I'm also a mum of twins who are eight years old now and um, I love travelling which right now because of the whole way that the world is isn't happening very much. Mm, I know and I've been in the garden and I'm a-okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the garden I've been in the garden I'm, I close my eyes and I try and pretend that I'm somewhere like tropical. Check you out doing some creative visualisation. No. Please <laughs> do tell us a bit about your story because I know obviously uh, where you are now versus where you where you were is an amazing story. So tell us. Yeah, and I know you you really want to kind of hit home on why people we write their stories and why things change. And I'm a massive believer in how actually adversity in their adversity that you have when you're younger can fuel your success I mean I have a TEDx talk literally on that topic because I believe it so much so where I started was in a council house in Lincolnshire this this is a 10 minute story I'm gonna try and do it shorter <laughs> so I can get to it's a point. good story I promise <laughs> but yeah so I grew up in a council house we didn't have anything we just didn't have you know secondhand clothes kind of situation you know how it is and um, uh, when I was about, I think I was 11, I didn't really realise, by the way, that we were poor when we were younger, because you don't really realise when you're growing up. You don't. You're just like having fun with your mates. You don't really get it. And then when I was 11, I was invited, because I got a scholarship, to a private boarding school, um, which was the best boarding school in our whole county. And I, I wasn't going to board. I was going to be a day pupil. But I accepted it thinking, well, this will be good, like for my education. I was pretty smart at that age. And so went to this boarding school and it was the first time I realized that we were poor because everybody got picked up in their Bentleys and their Porsches. And I got picked up on the back of my single dad. My dad brought us up on his own. My dad's like Honda motorbike. Mm -hmm. And people just, you know, what kids are like, they just took a piss. Mm -hmm. um, and I was known as the poor kid. 
because I had the little voucher when you queue up for lunch and that kind of thing. And so from that moment on, I was just bullied mercilessly. It was an all girls school and girls are the worst for bullying someone that's a bit different in any kind of way. So I was bullied for about four years there. And then in the end, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said to my dad, who, by the way, was working all hours to try and just make ends meet. So I had a younger sister who was a year younger than me. And my dad would be going to, you know, going to work in a factory at nine o'clock at night and not coming home until 9am the next day. And I was 11 at this time. And I was like looking after my younger sister, 11 years old at home. He would ring at seven o'clock in the morning to tell us we need to get out of bed and get ready for school. Right. Like that's how we were parented at this age. And it wasn't his fault. Like if, if he didn't do this, we wouldn't have any money and we'd get taken into care. And that was always the worst thing. Like you could get taken into care. So I didn't have anybody to really talk to about the bullying that was going on um, at school. And eventually I just said to my dad, I'm not going anymore. If you make me go, I will just Skype every single day. I'm not going to be put in this situation anymore. So he said, okay, let's put you in a different school. So I went to the local school, normal mixed school. I was 14 years old. And on the very first day, I walked past a girl called Hazel that was being bullied by a load of girls. And I'd been bullied every day from this point and could not walk past another girl being bullied. And so I got involved and said, hey, what are you doing? It was my first day and I basically put a target on my back because they were the most popular kids in the school. And I'd said, look at me, you know, like I'm new and I'm here to cause you hassle without even really meaning to. That girl, by the way, is still my best friend. So it was worth it. But I know, but it was hard. And from that day on, I was bullied in a worse way. So I was then bullied, not just by girls, but by boys as well. And my whole year basically ganged up on us. And it took a different form. So whereas in my old school, it was words and actually words hurt. You know, I was called ugly, worthless, poor, constantly for four years. But now it was shoving, kicking, tripping. You know, it got far, far worse. And for two years, I just put up with it because I didn't know what else to do. And then it all kind of turned. I think it was three days after my 16th birthday. I was walking home. Hazel, who was my only friend in the world, was off sick. And the girl there was a girl who was a year older than me on the school bus on the way to school said to me, I'm going to get you after school. And so all day I was like, what do I do? Like, I, I have no idea what to do when someone's going to get me after school. I can't call my dad because he has enough on his plate. I don't know what to do. My friend isn't here. I told a teacher, the teacher laughed at me and said that bullying was a normal part of school days. And so on the way home from school, I tried to get to the bus as quickly as possible to get home. But she got me on the way and she held a knife to my throat. Wow. While, and, and that bit is bad enough on its own. But the, the actual bit that stays in my head isn't that. It's that 15 of my, well, maybe even 20 of my classmates gathered around jeering her on, telling her to do it. Like, I don't deserve to live. Get rid of her. All of these kind of words. And that is the Thing that bothered me the most it wasn't even the fact that I could have been killed that was not a thing it was the wording that got to me and I don't know how I got away that day I can't remember I completely blanked it out but I got away somehow and I never went back to school 
I went and took the exams. I didn't get very good marks because I just didn't really want to be there. Um, and it was hard. And then un unsurprisingly, because if you know anything about when you go into victim mentality, I went straight into victim mentality. I was the bullied person. And so I got married at the age of 17. I may have just turned 18. I was very, very young to a guy that was a lot older than me. And I think I was just doing it to escape. Mm -hmm. So like the first person that showed any kind of interest in me, I didn't have a job, I'd left school. My dad had got married to somebody with nine children. Um, so I was like, yeah. And so I was like in this environment that I really didn't want to be in and I saw a way out with this older guy. So I got married pretty much straight away. I've known him for three months. And unsurprisingly again as i'm sure most of you are guessing what's going to come here there was like a domestic abuse situation for a good three years um and i eventually managed to get out of that situation thanks to my sister and my father who realized that was going on and pulled me out of there mm -hmm. so i left that situation and a few months later i was like 22 23 and got my first job and the job was in a factory which had an office kind of adjoined to it. And I was an office junior in that job. And it was a huge company. And I had this job there and there was probably uh, 15, 20 people working in this office and they were all women like in their twenties, same as me. And by this point, I probably came across as a bit awkward, let's say, or a bit aloof. And it wasn't that I was aloof, I was just terrified of gangs of women yeah. by this stage. So I just didn't want to even put myself out there. So I'd keep myself to myself. Mm. And on the second week that I was there, they were all talking about a boy that was in the factory that they liked. And this boy came in and Might asked me out. It's always a boy, isn't it? <laughs> Damn boys. This boy came in and asked me out. I said no straight away because I'd heard these people talking about it. And quite frankly, I was not in a position after going through a divorce with somebody that you know i didn't want to be with to go out on a date so i said no but it was a catalyst for these women to just decide we don't like her like she's aloof she's been asked out by this guy who we like and so bullying started again and i'm sure that i drew this to me because i kind of was in victim mentality at this point um and after about six months of harassment the boss who was a guy took me into the office and said look we cannot sack 20 women, but we're worried for your safety. So we're sacking you. Mm. I didn't know anything about the law then. I'm like, I have a law degree now. I would have like cleaned up if I'd have known what I knew now, but I didn't know. And so I left that day with no job. I was living in a really tiny bedsit that I could only just afford. No job, divorced, early 20s. Had been bullied pretty much my whole life from the age of 11. And just thought, why bother? Why do I even want to be here? You know, this, doesn't, this isn't the kind of life that I thought it was going to be. And so, and it always gets to me this bit, talking about this bit. So like, I feel sure I'm not on camera. <laughs> and so I got a bottle, I got some pills, and I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. I just didn't want to be here anymore. And lots of you will have felt this before. Like, I know that I'm not alone in this because I speak to so many people who have been through this situation. Mm. And I sat there and I heard this little voice and it was obviously an internal voice that said, what if they're wrong? Mm -hmm. 
you know, what if they're wrong? What if you are smart? What if you can make something of yourself? What if you're not ugly? What if you will never be this person forever? Mm. And so I decided to give myself a test. And that test was give yourself something that will prove to you internally that you are worth it, that you can do this. I didn't know what that was going to be, but I knew that I could give myself something. And if at the end of that test I failed, then I would let myself go. That was going to be my whole test. And if not, then I would really make something of my life and I wouldn't just sit there. So I sat there and thought, what can this test be? And so I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I've never even finished school. I'll do a degree. (laughs) Who thinks that? (laughs) I'll do a degree. Um, And so then I set to working out what the hardest degrees were to do and it was medicine or law everyone said medicine or law and so i decided to do a law degree and i got another job as an office junior pa admin type person like near my bedsit and every single day for four years i in distance learning mode studied for this degree so i'd take home my books at the end of the day I would study them for three hours in my room alone. Any offers to go to the pub or anything I said no to. I was just like totally fixed on this one thing. And every, I think it was like every May, I'd go and take exams and then I'd start again in September. And I did this for four years and I was one mark away from getting a first and I was the highest in my class. Wow. And it proved it. Like to me, that's all I needed. I needed validation internally that I was. I was smart. I could make something of myself. I wasn't who they'd all said from the age of 11 that I was. And it changed everything for me. I completely rewrote my story. I then, you know, uh, got a job, worked up a ladder. I worked in law. I worked in investment banking. I was a risk analyst in investment banking, Canary Wharf. I was earning like a lot of good money. Um, And it seemed that it all turned around for me. And people where I come from, one was like oh she's made it you know she's working 80 hour weeks she's made it (laughs) (laughs) you didn't feel like I'd made it but apparently I had you know and then um I then accidentally got pregnant with twins Mm -hmm. and had to rewrite my story over again but I knew this time that I could do it because I'd done it once before so I knew I could rewrite it and so started um, looking for other ways that I could make money because I couldn't do 80-hour weeks. I went back to work when they were five months old and there was just no way this was going to work. Mm. At this point, I was a single parent. So, you know, I got divorced and I was a single parent and I was, like, trying to make this work. And so I got, a, a, like, a nine-to-five PA job again, went right back down to where I had been before yeah. and um, so that I could see my kids when I came home from work. And then decided to start a business mm. and started a, a wedding planning business because it sounded fun and glamorous and that there'd be cake involved started this business Always with the cake. Well, yeah well, why wouldn't you and then after about a year I realized that it wasn't making any money and it was failing mm. I'd found a new a boyfriend who I knew I was going to marry like totally in love with so that side of things was going well but actually the business side wasn't so I decided to get a business coach mm-hmm. and I was 30,000 pounds in debt at this point got this business coach who taught me about the real fundamentals of business that I really should have known mm. before I started the business and I turned the business around and a year later even less than a year we were fully booked for a year and a half 
off with yeah. amazing clients and we became known as the biggest UK urban wedding business. Um, and then from there, people started asking me how I'd done that. And I started a few years later teaching people how I'd done that. And three years later, I started Lisa Johnson Coaching. And within three years, started earning a million a year. And yeah. two fingers up to the bullies. <laughs> up yours. <laughs> if people could see us on camera. Yeah, we are doing rude signs right now. <laughs> but that's my story. That's how I got to where I am now. And I believe a massive part of it is down to the adversity that I had when I was younger. Because when other people say, oh, I really wanted to make this work, but there's an obstacle in my way. Yeah. I've been there. Like an obstacle's not going to stop me. I will think about the adversity that I had then and I will push forward because of it, not in spite of it, but because of it mm. and find some way of getting around it. Yeah. And that's the thing with, it, with all of these stories is it just shows you how much that these really horrible gut-wrenching things that can happen doesn't matter what stage of life you're at you can use them as fuel to Absolutely. move forward it's yeah. all about and one of the common threads that's come through all of these interviews is that choice that you get to make yeah and you do have that choice and i speak to people now who are clients who have been bullied and they won't be visible they won't go online they won't do those things because they're worried about what happened to them when they were younger could happen again and yep. I'm not the coach that's going to tell you it's not going to happen again because it will. Yep. Like, it, it could. I've been bullied online. But you know if you've dealt with it before that you can deal with it again. Exactly. And that's exactly. And that's exactly the thing. It, it's kind of like when you have these huge life traumas, which essentially mm. is what we are. And I spoke on, on another, on my episode with Nikki Booten. It's like trauma is trauma. Yeah. It is to you what it is to you. It doesn't matter if someone's had it worse, someone's had it yeah. worse, anything like that. It's what it causes you to believe, what it causes you to then feel and do and the actions it then causes you to take. Because yeah. one of the things that you said earlier that, that caught me was like that you attracted it. You know, people talk about the law of attraction and, and all of that sort of stuff in a really, really fluffy way. And I think you've always said you like, no, I like how you explain it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not woo yeah, in any way. Yeah. yeah. I'm just the only person I'll listen to the law of attraction from. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I only really talk about it in speaking gigs and presentations that I do in, uh, in people's groups because... I like to have a visual for it. I have a little circle that I do and how the thoughts that you think and the beliefs that you have create those feelings and those feelings. It was like you were saying um, with the factory that you went to, you went in that and you behaved in a certain way because of yeah. the feelings you had about the thoughts you were thinking. Absolutely. And I can see now when I look back how actually that pattern yeah. carried on throughout yeah. my entire life and I've had to break it myself like more recently even when I got bullied online yeah. the first thing I did is go into victim mode yeah. like I was bullied online and I was the victim and they were wrong and and it's taken work for me to go well actually were they mm. you know they had their view I had my view mm -hmm. they acted a certain way I acted a certain way yeah. it, we can't put blame on anybody here because everybody's reality and truth is their reality and truth to them and i'm pretty sure if you spoke to the person that bullied me online she would have a very different version of events than yeah. me see this was an interesting thing because i know we've had a conversation before about how actually we had quite similar backgrounds in terms of you know my dad was a teacher my mum was a school nurse and i went to a private school but we didn't have the money to match it and it's yeah. a weird little a weird little um vibe that you get where you kind of don't fit either way 
Yeah. And it's a, and it's a struggle and it gives you major money mindset issues. But the thing with that is I completely forgot what my point was. <laughs> this is what happens if we have wine before a podcast. I know, right? Let's learn from this. <laughs> Let's not have so much. It's really good wine, I'm not going to lie. Mine is as well. I know, it's all gone. <laughs> so good. What was I saying? Here's what I was saying. There it's a similar background in terms of being bullied when you're at a girls school girls are brutal and I went yeah. two years later than everyone else and I was like bullied from day one everyone my okay here's an insight for you my last my maiden name is Burns Francis becomes Franny drop the R and add my surname oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah I had girls going around on my first day of school telling teachers that I, that's what I like to be called, but because I was shy and unconfident, I, I didn't want to correct them. So you just allowed Fanny so Burns. I had teachers calling me Fanny Burns. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you take this stuff so personally when you're young because don't you, you don't know any different. Yeah. You think it's all about you and it's never about you. It's always about the other person, their yeah. own unconscious thoughts and beliefs. And I actually ended up, I, I was with a friend and I was working at the Financial Times at the, at the time. And she was like, come to this party with me. I was living the life in Clapham in my 20s. And we, I went into this party and it was all of those girls. Oh. And I was like, oh, fudge. This is yeah. awful. And all that, this confidence that I had built just went out the window. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness. But it was a really, really cathartic experience for me because they were so happy to see me. These people who, to me, had, had traumatized me and tortured me and bullied me were really genuinely happy to see me. And it was the most weird, cathartic, confusing situation that really forced me to challenge my beliefs around my my teenage years and your perception the same happened to me yeah I, I met one of my friends or someone that I'm closely linked with um is now married to the guy one of the main guys in that second school that bullied me mm. and I met up with them and knew he was going to be there and was not looking forward to it but he's just a guy now like it, the monster in him has gone from my head and he came up to me and he said, I hear that you like think that I was a bully. Like at school, I was like, well, you, you were. These are the things you did to me. And listed them. And he said, oh, I was just like mucking about. Like I didn't even think you would even think uh, of it in that way. It was bad. Yeah. You know, yeah, I tripped you up a few times and like pushed you off a bench. Like it was just school. I'm a different person now. And he feels genuinely bad that I went through this entire life terrified of people because of people like him. Yeah. Because he didn't see it the same way. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like you, it's such a good example of why you have to challenge these things because the stories that you tell yourself and the beliefs that you have, the majority of them aren't even yours and the majority of them aren't true. Yeah. That's why you've got to do this work to work out what these things are because something so small can massively affect everything for you going forward. And obviously, I do a lot of work with your clients. And, and one of the biggest things, like they'll come across a block. And it feels huge to them. And it can so often sometimes be. And one of the presuppositions of, of, of NLP is like change can be fast and long lasting. You know, it can be instantaneous that you realize that something you've told yourself your entire life is not it true. Isn't true. Yeah, that's happened to me um, quite recently. We went on holiday with my dad and I said to 
dad, obviously my parents split up when I was like 10 or 11. And I had a whole narrative in my head of how that happened. Mm -hmm. And me and my sister spoke to him about it and said, how did you deal with this? And he said, well, it isn't, it didn't happen like you were saying it happened. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't like that at all. And gave me an entirely different story that was so far away from what I had believed had happened. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the beauty of actually challenging this stuff and, and looking at it head on. And actually saying, well, hang on a minute, did that happen? And actually sometimes talking to the people that you've created these beliefs around can be one of the most powerful things that you can ever do. Yeah, because once it's gone, once it changes, like my, I had complete kind of aversion of how my mother acted during Mm -hmm. that time. And when I spoke to my dad and realized it wasn't, it just wasn't true. My entire relationship with my mother has been based on this thing that didn't happen. Wow. And how has it changed since then? Some, but it's quite hard to get your head around the fact that actually it didn't happen because I've thought for years that it did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and so many of these stories stop us from doing the things that we want to do. Yeah. And that's the kicker is that it's something that is not true or you're letting a five-year-old, a seven-year-old dictate your life. (laughs) That's so true. When you think about it like that, it was me then. It was me at seven. It was me at 12. And they have a massive impact on my life. Well, not so much now, but they did up until like 10 years ago when I started doing the work around this. Yeah, exactly. And it's like my husband sometimes turns around and he's like, you talk so much about when you were 11, when you were 11, when you were 11. And I went to a different school when I was 11. And when I was there, I, I had gone, the, the one previous to that, I actually, it, for context, I went to five different schools and it wasn't because oh, I was it. naughty and got expelled. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify. But I, you were not, why did you? Were you an army brat? Well, my dad was a teacher, so um, the first school I was at was was just a, a state school, and then from eight to eleven, I went to a private school because there were certain schools I could go to for essentially for free or a fraction of the cost. So, I mean, why wouldn't you as a parent? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the school I went to was uh, a boys' school with two girls. We were the first year where there was girls. It was me and the headmaster's daughter. So, I loved it there. Like, I mean, I was in my element. I was raised around boys, which is why I don't have that kind of, like, I don't have that BS mentality, that girly, bitchy thing. I don't don't do that. I'm very much take me or leave me. If I I feel a little bit wary of someone, there's a reason for it, and I will just politely move on. I don't feel the need to get into anything else. I have quite a male mentality about that stuff. And that comes from being raised with men. And then, um, essentially, after this school where I was super popular as one of two girls, I was bullied from day one because all of a sudden I went to this, this school and I picked it because they had donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason to pick it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had donkeys at the boarding school. I'm like, I'm going to Wiltshire. See <laughs> and, and I went there and, I, and literally it felt like from day one, it was a complete change in the way that people acted towards me and everything was based on how I looked and what I ate. That gave me so many issues around what I eat. And, um, and there was this one day where there was these two girls and they were just looking at me and kind of laughing and I just didn't get it. And it's so easy to go back and heal that now. But yeah. the I talk so much about when I was 11, it's a lot of stuff happened there that gave me beliefs for the rest of my life. My best friend back home uh, passed away while I was there. 
And, and that was a really big thing, being that age and away from home and all that sort of stuff left me with the other scars, you know, and this yeah. is stuff that, that needs to be worked on. So actually age 11 for me was a really big, pivotal... It was a huge age. thing for you. It was a time, and I think there is always this time, this, when you look back, this time that means something to you and that either makes or breaks you and then later on you have to deal with the stuff that comes out of it yeah and that's the thing is this is where when anyone comes up with a block in their business or when they're trying to achieve something big like quite often a lot of my listeners are career changers or they want to write a book they're trying to do something new and big and different with their life you come across these blocks do not let an 11 year old rule your life yeah yeah so true yeah so what would you say out of everything that you've gone through and the incredible success that you've made of yourself through integrity, which is something we like. Yeah, it is. It's all about integrity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What would you say is the number one key takeaway that you would like to give to my listeners? I think the biggest thing for me is that knowing that you can rewrite your story at any time. Wherever you are right now, it doesn't mean that's the end. That's not a full stop. That means you can change it. You can pivot it. You can become who you actually are are supposed to be just by changing a few things i have a tattoo as you can see here mm -hmm. um i have a tattoo on my wrist of a semicolon and that's to remind me constantly that this isn't the end so if something goes wrong or if something doesn't feel right in your life carry on the sentence just mm -hmm. change it just carry on nothing is ever as bad as you think it's going to be you can be whoever you want to be and i'm proof that you can be whoever you want to be and me no matter, yeah you are no no matter what has happened to you in the past, do not let your past define your future. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I always love oh. chatting to you anyway, but I've loved having you on the podcast. Please tell everyone where they can find you, what you're up to, all of that sort of jazz. Oh, I'm up to all sorts of things. I'm um, mid-challenge right now, um, but you can find me in my Facebook group, which is called The Fabulous 5%. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, lovely Lisa. And everybody else, I shall see you next week. So, if you got value from this and you know in your gut that now is the time to step up and start rewiring your thinking and changing things for yourself, then book in a free discovery call so we can work out what needs to happen to get you from where you're at right now to the action-taking success you know you can be. And if you want my eyes and ears on your problems, I work with people one-on-one -on -one and through my Proactive Pants Mastermind. So stop waiting for if and when and decide to change things now because you can. And as always, I hope that was helpful. So any questions, just let me know. And as always, I will see you next week. Bye.